You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. things that you and I will learn uh, very quickly, if you have not already, is that context matters. Context matters a whole lot. <clears throat> For example, if you say one thing in one setting, it could mean something radically different, different if said in another. I'll give you an example. For those of you who are new to our church, you're newer to, our, uh, newer to the peak and you're still checking us out and things like that, and we're still getting to know each other, one of the things that was really, really important to me growing up was soccer. And so I played a lot of soccer growing up. And I got to thinking about this the last couple of weeks, that we say some weird stuff on the soccer field. We say things on the soccer field that if you said those same things outside of the field, it does not make any sense whatsoever. For example, one of the things that you'll hear if you play soccer here on the soccer field is you'll hear this. Put a body on him. Anybody know what this means? Anybody know what this means? Raise your hands. Come on. You know Daniel? What is it? What does it mean? That's right. So it's a defensive thing. So you say it when you're playing defense. If there's a player that's wide open or there's a player that's dribbling towards your goal, go put a body on him. Like go and block them. Go and stop them from scoring on you. So it makes perfect sense when you say it on the soccer field. It's going to get a little weird if I start saying that to the greeters here at church. Okay, people are going to start coming to our church and having a very different experience when they first walk through the front doors. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Sick them. Same thing happens also when not only you play soccer, but when you watch soccer. So the World Cup just ended, so I watched a ton of soccer over the last couple of months. And there's things that we say to one another as viewers that makes sense in the living room when you're watching the game and means something really weird when you say it outside. So, for example, another thing that you'll hear if you're watching a soccer game is you'll hear someone say this, it's squeaky bum time. Squeaky bum time. Now, fear not, if someone says this, they do not have a medical condition, okay? Something's happening in the game. So what it's happening is people say this when you've reached the part of the game when you're in the final minutes, it's really close. You don't know if your team is going to win or not. So this applies not just to soccer. It applies to all sports, right? So later today, you'll watch football. Later in the game, it'll be get really, really close. There's only a couple minutes left. Who's going to win? So again, it makes perfect sense when said when watching a game. It means something entirely different if someone says this to you on a date, okay? <laughs> don't explain it. Some of you are like, what is he talking? Don't explain it. Let us, let's just let it fly. Let us explain it. Context matters. It matters. And a similar principle applies to our faith. It applies to our faith, that the context of our faith matters. It matters deeply. It not only matters to understand the context in which our faith happens and where the scriptures, the context in which the scriptures were written, but it also matters where you hear about our faith. One of my favorite sayings is this, That where you hear will impact what you hear. The setting in which you inhabit. The the audience with which you keep company with. The family with which you were raised. Where you hear impacts what you hear. And due to the fact 
that over 52% of Americans in this country live in suburbia. We thought it was not only timely, but very, very appropriate for us to start out the new year, start out 2023 with a conversation about how is this context in which we are all inhabiting, many of us who are online as well, you're probably coming to us from a, from a suburban context, or at least you know what it's like to live in the burbs. The question we're going to ask as we start out this new year is, how is this context, how is the where impacting the what? How is this context in which we are living and doing life with and, and working within and playing within, how is it impacting what we hear? So now apply it to our faith. How is it affecting not only how we understand and who we understand Jesus to be, but the type of life Jesus expects from us? So to start, one of the things uh, that we know about this context in which we are inhabiting, one of the things that we've grown to love and appreciate about suburbia is the predictability factor. It's very predictable, ain't it? In this setting, there is so much predictability that I would venture a guess with a very high level of certitude that because, because there are not one, not two, not three, not four, there are five targets in this area, five. Because there are five targets in this area, I did the math, there's also 20 Starbucks in this area of Southwest Wake County. And I also did research into what was the most uh, commonly gifted item on Amazon back in 2022, and it was like those like really fluffy booties and like slippers people like to wear around the house. So because of all those factors, I can actually venture a guess with very high level of, of, of predictability that when you leave here today, you're going to encounter this creature. Okay? You're going to be confronted with this person. This is uh, the BWG, the basic white girl. Okay? She's out there. She's waiting. If you want to pull one closer, just offer her Taylor Swift tickets. You guys will be able to have a long, rich conversation. You'll have a lifelong friend. Hopefully, she's prettier than that. But there's a high level of predictability in this context and setting in which we are living in. And before you get it twisted, I'm not knocking all that. There's a part of me that loves how predictable uh, this space is. I love that when I leave here later today and I go to the grocery store, I can count on the grocery store I'm going to to have at least five to six different flavors of Doritos. So, like, I love that. There's a lot of beautiful, wonderful things about a predictable environment. But as a pastor, part of my job is to constantly back up and back out of the setting in which I inhabit, the setting in which I'm doing ministry, and to ask a bigger question, which is, how is this context in which we're living in, how is it forming and shaping us? How is it forming and shaping my understanding of Jesus, but also my understanding of what type of life Jesus wants me to live? And so the larger question about this is, uh, if we're living in a context where, to start, predictability is king, is it possible that we're living in a place that will tempt us to probably move a direction where we begin to sort of live a life uh, kind of not necessarily thinking about where we're trying to go, but just sort of adopting what everyone else is doing. One of the things about this setting when convenience is king is that you sort of move to this place where you just sort of live in autopilot. You live reactionary to the setting in which you're living in instead of proactively saying, is this actually where I want my life to go? Is this actually the person I want to be? One of the traps of this place 
is that if you're not careful, you'll wake up one day, and this is the metaphor I want to use for the rest of our time together today. If we're not careful, you'll wake up one day and you'll realize you've been living off of a script someone handed to you. Rather than actually being aware if that's the script you want or are called to live. Unfortunately for us, this is not only something happening here in 2023, but also something our author of our scripture passage picked up on himself as well. So, let's return to our passage. If you go back to, uh, if you've got your smartphones on your Bibles handy and you want to follow along, go back to Hebrews chapter 12, uh, the passage that Diane just read a couple of moments ago. And to give you a little bit of context of this passage, the environment in which the author is writing. So, during this time when Hebrews is written, there's a lot of stories... There's a lot of scripts being told about the early church, about Christians. So depending on who you talk to, they might tell you a different story about them Jesus people over there. So the main two, the primary two are these. So if you talk to someone who belonged to the religious institution, you talk to someone who belonged to the temple, you talk to the religious leaders who had Jesus killed, what they would say of the early church is them folks are heretics. Like, don't you spend time with them? They abandon the Orthodox faith. They abandon all of our rules. They abandon all of our rituals. They abandon all of our customs. They abandon all the things that we are supposed to defend. So those folks are heretics. Stay away from them. But then, if you leave the temple and you walk out into the sort of like the marketplace and talk to just sort of larger society, Roman society, what you would find is they also are telling a story about you. They would say about early church, them folks are criminals. Like, they're, they're repeating what their leaders said to them. They're saying, you see what we did to that Jesus guy? We had to get him out of here. So only a good Christian is a dead one or an exiled one. We need to get them out of here because they are they're confronting and they are obstructing our status quo and way of doing things. And so I want you to see that context because I don't know about you, but if I was a, a Christian, if I was an early church uh, follower of Jesus during that time, I know myself well enough to know I would be super tempted, super tempted to adopt one of their scripts. I would have been super tempted to be like, I know, like, but maybe the legalism wasn't that bad. And maybe all the exclusion stuff isn't that bad. And maybe like the barbaric things about my old church and my old beliefs, maybe that wasn't that bad. And maybe it's better than being critiqued all the time at Thanksgiving or by family members who believe differently than I do. Or... Maybe on another day I would wake up and I'd say, maybe I just need to stop taking my faith so seriously. I'm start, I'm t- I, don't like so, I don't like attention, so I don't want people to like, give me attention and negative attention and criticize me for the way in which I'm living. Maybe I'll just be more like the world around me. I'll take their script because I don't want, to, sure, sure as heck don't want to die, I don't want to be punished for living the way I feel called to live. It would have been tempting, incredibly tempting to just adopt the script handed to you, expected of you. And so the author of Hebrews knows this. He knows this is the culture. He knows this is the environment. And so that's what he said. That's why he says what he says in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. What does he say? He says, so then with endurance, let's also run the race laid out in front of us since we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. So you're not alone. I know you feel alone, but you're not alone. We're watching you. We're cheering for you. Let's throw off any extra baggage, get rid of the sin that trips us up, and fix our eyes on Jesus, faith's pioneer and perfecter. The Greek word here used for pioneer is archegas, archegas, which could also be translated as 
author. You've heard that translation most likely before. That Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the author and the perfecter of our story. And so friends, now fast forward 2,000 years to today. It feels just as appropriate. It feels just as faithful today to ask the question that it seems like the author from Hebrews chapter 12 is trying to get his early church audience to ask, which is this. When you think about your life right now, when you think about your life to start the new year, what story is your life telling? What story is your life contributing to right now? Who's authoring your story? Do you know? Are there more than one story you're trying to sort of keep tabs with and plug yourself into? And friends, I am convinced that this is one of the most important questions you'll ever ask of your life. Because if you never ask it, what happens is the stories that the world is telling, the culture is telling, that the loudest voices in our world are telling, they will adopt you. And you won't even know it's happening. I love the passage in the New Testament where Paul says, our struggle's not really with flesh and blood. Like, it's not in the physical. It's, like this, it's these powers and principalities. It's these stories, these voices that we don't even know they're infecting us and influencing us until we are deep in the ocean of them. And so I'll give you them. Ready? We're here in suburbia. We've, they've actually got them. Uh, you know that uh, here in the Bible we've got uh, four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As you know, there's also four Gospels of suburbia. Four Gospels of suburbia. And if you're not aware, if you're not paying attention, these are the stories that will adopt you. They'll rope you in. They'll pull you into their story. Here they are. The first Gospel of suburbia is the Gospel of convenience. The Gospel of convenience. It's sometimes this, not even explicit, this implicit voice that life is all about making things as easy as possible, as convenient as possible, as we talked about earlier, as predictable as possible. I went to Chili's the other day, which is my favorite restaurant, and uh, we're walking out, and I see a flyer as I'm leaving that says that you can now get wings delivered to you by drone. Only in suburbia with some teenager chilling on the couch, watching the news, seeing like drone warfare and going, wait. <laughs> but instead of war, wings! <laughs> Just like that, it was born. We love convenience. I do too. Gosh, I do too. Another really powerful gospel, really powerful story of suburbia is the gospel of abundance. The gospel of abundance, it's that story that says life is all about acquiring as much as you can, acquiring as many sort of raises as you can and as, many, as much wealth as you can and as many possessions as you can, even relationships. We've sort of lived into this sort of realm where sometimes in suburbia it's more valued to have a lot, a lot of friendships than a select few that you go deep with. Right? There's this gospel of abundance, the story that life is all about acquiring as much as possible. And I did some research on this earlier this week, and there was a, a, a really good telling symptom of the problem. Do you want to know, by the way, so speaking of abundance, speaking of acquiring things, anyone want to venture a guess how much Americans spend on storage units every year? 
Some of you are like, I don't want to participate because I own a storage unit. And um, my wife's been telling me to cancel it for a really long time, but my motorcycle's in there. She won't let me ride it, but I got to keep it there. So, like, I don't really want to participate in this part of the sermon. Um, $38 billion. $38 billion. By the way, facility-wise, there are five times more storage facilities than Starbucks in our country. Five times. We love gathering, accumulating, acquiring stuff. Not just material stuff. Another really powerful narrative here in suburbia is the gospel of comfort. The gospel of comfort. We love to be comfortable. The flip side of uh, comfort, I like to say, is safety. So I think safety is wrapped up in that as well. We like a safe life, a secure life, one that uh, is sort of safeguarding against potential threats or potential things that could go haywire and go wrong. This is actually why also it's becoming weirder and weirder to walk up to someone's house and not see a ring doorbell. You know what I'm talking about? I took my kids up to a door one time recently, a couple weeks ago, that didn't have a ring doorbell, and they're like, what is this contraption? (laughs) Does something happen when you hit the button? Do we, like, go to a special land, or what happens here? (laughs) This is amazing. Is this an antique house? How old is it? (laughs) It's like, shut up. We were raised with these, okay? Get off. But we love to make sure, and the story is, you better make sure your life is as comfortable, as safe as possible. And fourthly and finally, the really powerful gospel of suburbia is the gospel of advancement. It's the gospel of advancement. It's this message that life is all about moving forward, making progress, climbing ladders. And this not just, a, this, sure, does this apply to careers? Absolutely. But this also applies to almost every single sphere of life. If you're not careful, you'll begin to get swept up in this narrative that you're supposed to always be, like, grading yourself over and against, like, friends and family. Like, well, we haven't taken a vacation like that. Come on. we got to, like, hurry up. we got to advance to that sort of stage of life. Or we're not sort of, uh, we haven't uh, lived in a house like that quite yet. So, like, we need to hurry up and get up with everybody else. True story. Several years ago, we moved into our neighborhood, and... We made really good friends with the family that lived right down the road from us. We became really close with them. Our kids became really close with them. He got a, uh, this is the way, again, he got a raise, he got a promotion, and they moved. And I ran into him about three weeks ago, and I was like, oh, my gosh, like, how's it going? Like, how are you guys like the new neighborhood? How do you like the new house? He's like, we hate it. <laughs> He's like, we don't really like our neighbors. We don't connect with them. There's no kids our age. It feels real. It's like now farther away from where I work, and it's farther away from where we used to do community and, like, go to church and all that kind of stuff. We hate it. But, you know, I got the job raised. I got the promotion. So it's what you do, right? Is it? Is that the only option out there? Is that it? You see, friends, One of the core issues I think I have with those Gospels is not only are you allowing someone else to dictate what's most important in your life, but secondarily, the other issue I have with all of those Gospels is they're all about you. They're all about me. How can I make my life as comfortable as possible? How can I make my life as abundant as possible? How can I make my life as safe as possible? as possible. It's all about me. 
I think nowadays, in particular, Christians really need to wrestle with this question. That are you spending more time, are you living, are you and I living our lives in such a way where we're asking Jesus to be a part of our story, or are we asking how we can be a part of his? That's a big friggin' difference. Are we living in such a way to where we're like, you know, I'm going to run after these things. And so like, Jesus is like, if you want to come along, like that would be great. Are we living our lives where we're inviting Jesus to participate in our story? Or am I always, am I, am I trying really hard to make sure that my life is participating in his? And some of you, as you hear this, you're you're realizing, holy cow, uh, I think actually most of my life is the former. I feel like most of the time, maybe I call on God only when I'm in trouble or when I, only when I need guidance, or maybe I'm just like, I've been burned by church and religion and stuff, so I don't even necessarily, I struggle trusting it all the time, and so I feel like it's just safer to do my own thing and be the person I feel like I'm called to be. But maybe, just maybe, you find yourself here today, and you're starting to ask that bigger question. You're beginning to see, you're beginning to forecast out that if I only live my story, if I'm the author, if I'm the controller of everything, you're beginning to realize that that might just end up in a place you don't want to go. Or it might end up in a place where your story just feels like it's not contributing to anything bigger than just you. And if that's you, Number one, you're not alone. Good Lord, you're not alone. I feel like all of those uh, Gospels uh, I have read and uh, drunk deeply uh, as um, someone who inhabits this context, was raised in this context. So you're not alone. But number two, it's going to take some friggin' work to get out from underneath them. It's going to take intentional work to get out from underneath their power on your life. How, how I do that work? Well, for starters, you start asking yourself some really, really important questions. The first of which is this. The first question that you need to start asking yourself, if you don't want to live according to the gospel of suburbia any longer, but you want to make sure your story lives according to the gospel of Jesus, like if you want that shift to happen, first question you got to ask yourself more often is, what is the why? What's the Why? How many of you have seen that Simon Sinek video on YouTube? He talks about, like, the importance of knowing the why. I mean, if you have, if you haven't, go on YouTube that thing. It's so helpful. But it's amazing to me. And I'll just go first. I'll confess first. It's amazing to me how much of my life I do and participate in without ever asking why. I just do it because it's expecting of me. It's what everyone else is doing. I never stop and think through, why am I thinking about this career change? Why am I thinking about moving houses? Why am I thinking about enlisting my kid in karate? I don't think through these sort of things. I just sort of do them, sort of like this autopilot sort of situation, right? And what we as Christians are going to have to start doing, especially in this area, especially in these contexts, is you're going to have to figure out why. It's not to say you can't enlist your kid in karate, but it is to say we should know the why. And it should be a bigger why, a better why than, well, you know, Margaret's kid's doing it. And some of you are like, okay, great. Well, that's, that's awesome. Like, the why, the why, the why. Like, how do I figure out the why? And for me, so I'm Enneagram 3, so I'm, I'm goal-driven. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of ambition-driven. And so for me, 
my answer to that is always going to be mission and vision driven. And so for me, my answer to this all the time when I talk to parents, when I talk to families, is you and I should think really long and hard about developing a family mission statement. A family mission statement. Or maybe if you're single, an individual mission statement. Or if you're a couple, a couple's mission statement. Something that helps you understand who it is you're trying to be. We started working on this as a family, so ours is a draft. It's not done yet, but here's ours. Here's the Meyer family mission statement right now. It's probably subject to change, but here it is. We want to be a family that follows Jesus into a life of growth, fun, friendship, generosity, and servanthood. That's who we want to be. And now that we know who we want to be, now we have a filter to apply to our lives to figure out what actually are we going to do and what are we not going to do. What are we going to spend time, energy, and money on? And what are we not going to spend time, energy, and money on? This, a tool like this, if this isn't your thing, that's fine. But find a tool so that you make sure when you reach the end of the light, your life, you, you arrived in the place you wanted to reach. You became the person you wanted to become. You did the things that were actually most important to you. So number one, you want to come out from underneath the weight of these Gospels. You're going to have to start asking yourself, why? Why do I feel the need to switch houses, switch cars, move neighborhoods, move jobs, whatever? Second question is this. Second question you're going to have to start asking yourself with some consistency and with some intentionality is who is your audience? Who is your audience? When you make decisions, when you are sort of trying to figure out where your life is going to go and what steps you're going to take, Who are the people's opinions that matter most to you? Who are the first people that come into your mind whose approval you want to make sure you're in keeping with, right? One of the things I love about our passage for today is that early in Hebrews chapter 12, he reminds them. He reminds them, he says, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Historically, what that means, that's the church. We believe in what's called the community of saints, meaning that there might be members of the church who have gone before us, they've passed, but they're still cheering for us from the heavenly places. He goes a step further. In the very next chapter, in Hebrews chapter 13, he says, make sure whenever you're given an opportunity to welcome a stranger, make sure you do that because anytime and every time you do that, you entertain the likes of angels. What he's teaching us is that there's an audience out there that you may not see and you may not hear when you act the way Christ calls you to live. I like to say it this way, that oftentimes what receives applause in heaven receives crickets on earth. Oftentimes what receives a rowdy applause in heaven, you didn't even know it happened. A couple months ago, we uh, got called in for a, a parent-teacher conference for our daughter. And those of you who are parents, you always know when you get that call, it's a crapshoot. This is one way or the other. Like, this is either like, going to be a really good conversation and, or you're like, oh, oh, I, uh, mm-hmm. they, they did, they have been saying that word uh, that I used. Oh, okay, okay, my bad, my bad, I'll stop. Um, but we go in, we have this conversation, she sits us down, and we're sitting there talking to her, and she tells us a story of a couple weeks earlier, we had no idea this happened. A couple weeks earlier... Uh, in my daughter's second grade class, there was a boy who got suspended. So he's suspended from school. He goes home for, I think, like a week or something like that. He comes back. 
And what my daughter did was she didn't ask anyone's permission. She didn't ask for anyone's help. But she wrote a card for this student. And she had it waiting on his desk. And she put it there that morning so that the day that he arrived back into school, the very first words that he heard were words from his classmates saying that we missed you and we really enjoy having you around and we're so, so excited you're back. So she tells us a story. The teacher tells us a story. And two things uh, run through my mind immediately. Um, number one, I want to know what he did. Shut up, don't judge me. Like, some of y'all know, like, some of y'all got young kids, and, like, there's some straight tea in elementary school. Half the time I come home, I'm like, come on, girl, tell me what's up. What happened today? Ooh, I can't believe he did that. Mm, love it. But the second thing I thought, say what you want about the order of those, but the second thing that I thought was that passage. I had no idea this happened. I had no idea this was going on. He got crickets in our household. But there was a frickin' party going on in heaven. Who's your audience? Which voices, which people, their opinion matters most to you? And the third and final question, I'm going to invite you to consider this in this new year. That if you're really serious, you're really serious about trying to figure out not how to invite Jesus into your story, but to ask how you can be invited into his the third and final question that you're going to need to start asking yourself with some regularity is what role in that story are you playing? What role in that story are you playing? And this is the part of the sermon where I'm actually going to say something uh, that some of you are going to be offended by. This is probably the most countercultural part of my message. Because you see, you and I were raised trained to believe that you're the lead in your story. You're the main actor. You're the protagonist. You're the one who dictates the moves. Uh, my wife and I, she always wants to watch The Holiday. You guys seen that movie? Uh, every, so, yeah. And Cameron Diaz does, like, the trailers and this sort of thing. That's for her job. And so, like, every once in a while, she'll hear that voice, like, this summer. And it's, like, telling the story of her life. And she's always the main character. You and I have been trained to believe that you're the lead. You're the main actor or actress in your story. And here's the only problem. The moment you and I decide to follow Jesus, you don't get to be the lead no more. The moment I decided to follow Jesus, I didn't get to be the main actor no more. I didn't get to be the protagonist no more. I had to be willing, if I wanted my story to be footnote in his, I was going to at least have to take a supporting role, supporting his mission, his kingdom vision, his desire for reconciling and redeeming all of humanity throughout all of history. And I'll close here, friends, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the reason why that's so countercultural is because the moment that people are confronted with that reality, more people than the other say, not, nope, no way. I'm not losing control over my life. Like, I want to be the author of my story. I want to define what's important. I want to run after the things that I like and value the most. I ain't taking no supporting role. Reminds me of an article I read. 
I read an article about two or three weeks ago, and it was telling stories of actors who denied roles that went on to become really, really big. Have you seen these before? Have you seen these before? It's the person up there. So the person up there, did you know the first person, the actual person who was offered the job of being Neo on, oh, I don't know, Matrix, the movie that made millions and millions of dollars, was Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt's response, nah, I don't think it's going to be that big. It's not enough. Not big enough for me. Not interested. Turns it down. Next one. Did you know, in my wife's favorite movie, Forrest Gump, the first person actually offered the role was John Travolta. That would have been a really weird uh, kind of movie, I think, actually, if it had gone that direction. It's like, nah, not into that. Don't think it's going to be good. It's not enough for me. Thirdly, the movie that made me terrified of riding in public transportation. So the movie Speed, uh, starring Sandra Bullock, actually the role was first pitched to Halle Berry. She's like, nah, I won't do it. And fourthly and finally, oh, the, one of the most popular movies of all time was actually offered to Jack Nicholson. And every single time their answer was, it's just not quite enough. I don't feel like it's going to be big enough for me and like what I feel like I could do and my potential. And I went back and researched. That same year when they could have been in those movies, they didn't do Jack Squat. <laughs> they chose nothing over that. So I think what that does is it just frames a really, really important question. Really, really important question for you and I as we head into this new year. What's more important to you? Would you rather take a supporting role? Would you rather play the supporting role in the greatest story that will ever be told? Or would you rather take a leading role in a story that one day no one ever remember? Would you rather take a supporting role in a story of worldwide transformation and redemption or a lead in a story that just only starts and stops with you? Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.